If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's essentially the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need on one place. Let me explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your pod right from your phone or your computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your pod on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey guys, welcome to Let's Process This with Melinda Hill. We are happy you're here. We, meaning me, pretending I'm a we for some reason. Hi. Let's Process This is a podcast about processing and overcoming trauma and transforming it into creative treasure and life treasure because we are not defined by what happened to us, but we are defined by what we do with what happens to us. Hello. We also talk creative process, like how does stuff get made? How are people making things? How are people making it through things? My intention is that you will feel inspired and empowered and illuminated by the insights that you find here. And also, of course, entertained. Some quick announcements for you. If you're so inspired, please support this podcast by subscribing for free wherever you get your pods and rating it and leaving a nice review. Yummy, yummy review time. You can become a patron now directly on anchor.com or on patreon.com. So hop over there and become a patroon. You can access all this stuff at my website, melindahill.com. If you can do all or any of that, we are so grateful. We, of course, just meaning me. Another announcement for you. Very exciting. My comedy special, Inappropriate, is now out. What? Yes! I am so excited to share this comedy special with you. You can get it at melindahill.com or wherever you get your specials. It's also a comedy album. And you can get that wherever you get your comedy albums. The special is called Melinda Hill, Inappropriate. Few people said a few things about it. Hollywood Chicago says, combine the hilarity of prime observational comedy with the zen of inner peace, and you have Melinda Hill's stand-up special, Inappropriate. The sharp master of laughs delivers an hour of riffs on her life and her loves. Off the Tracks goes on to say, Melinda's special is bold, funny, and deep. A hilarious comedy hour jam-packed with laughs. Speaks to her development as a joke writer and deliverer, but also arrives at exactly the right time. Ooh, we love arriving at the right time. Gotta love that divine timing. Guys, did I mention that we are so happy that you are here today. Thank you so much for all of your support. Let's get into it, shall we? I really wanna thank you for inspiring me to do a podcast, for inspiring me on a million levels, for being so helpful, because I am enjoying connecting with people on the podcast, and I'm really happy you're here today. Um, Thank you, thank you. Margaret, I wanted to ask you, what's your 
personal pandemic process that you're using to to get through this right now? Um, well, I do uh, a lot of, um, I think, I try to do a lot of, like, kind of whatever that is, like, so sort of creative for me, um, and that's, um, but not making it something that I have to uh, monetize necessarily, like, a lot of people are very into, oh, I'm going to write that novel or write that script or do that um, work thing that I've been meaning to do. And for me, it's more about um, trying to uh, enjoy that sort of time that I haven't had at home because most of our time is usually on the road as comedians or acting or whatever. So this is the first time I've been able to really enjoy at home for 30 something years. And so like now I'm actually taking all the stuff out of the kitchen that I has been in boxes and I'm cooking for the first time, which is so weird, but it's actually really fun. And uh, so I have all four ovens going, which is very, and it's weird because I have a chef's kitchen, so it's not overly warm. It's weird when all the ovens are going and it's not um, overheating the kitchen, which is so strange to me. Like everything is so well insulated that it's not really hot in there. What are you cooking? I'm doing, um, yesterday I did, uh, it took two days. I did 48 hour um, lamb shanks in Apricot. So it's like a, it's a Moroccan recipe that you do in a tagine, which is the cylindrical um, ceramic kind of, it's like a oven, but it's, it's a dish. It's like a baking dish. It's almost like a casserole that has like a hat. It's like, it looks like a hat. And, um, but I did it in a, the sous vide, which is a plastic um, bag, which uh, is a temperature controlled water bath. And, um, but it takes uh, 48 hours. So you, you vacuum seal a bag and then you put in um, the lamb shanks and the seasoning and then you submerge it in, uh, I did it at 167 degrees for 48 hours. That's super impressive. I just learned how to use my instant pot, which I've had for two years and never used once. And I was pretty impressed with myself for that. But what you're saying is like next level, super impressive. Well, it's it's good, but then I ate it in about 14 minutes. So it was like, (laughs) it was was like, I didn't even put it in, um, I, well, I put it in a, a, I finished it in the oven. It wasn't even finished after 48 hours. I put it in another dish to finish it in the oven. And then I didn't even put it in a plate. I ate it out of the other, the, the oven container um, while it was boiling hot. Like it was so hot, it burned my mouth, but I was so excited to eat it that I didn't even, um, <laughs> and I didn't make enough either. That was the dumb thing is there's not a lot on, I only made two lamb shanks and it's not a lot on there. So I uh, didn't make enough and I was still hungry. And that's very frustrating when you work on a dish for, it was actually turned out to be 50 hours and um, I didn't make enough. So it wasn't even enough for a dinner, but I still, um, <laughs> I ate the whole thing in very short period of time. And I still had to make um, more food after that. I feel, 
I feel like, yeah, the first time you make something like that, it's such an accomplishment because now you know, maybe next time you make like eight and refrigerate. So yeah, I want to ask you how, okay, you've been such a prolific artist and inspiration to so many people, myself included. How many specials, books, and TV shows have you made? You've made several specials, right? Like, um, yeah, I think I've made about, um, over time, uh, probably about um, somewhere, you know, different uh, different kind of different versions of them, probably, probably about seven or eight specials of, diff- you know, diff- variant kinds of lengths and different types of um, the, the ones that are um, probably um, available, like kind of on DVD or uh, probably there's like six of them. Um, available out there uh and they're all on youtube i think everything's probably out out on youtube and um then there's um a number of i have two books i have um yeah it's weird though i I know that i'm due for some more um and also uh i have like so much stuff that is not available readily on streaming sites so it's almost as if like i have to put out more work now because a lot of stuff has not been released beyond um, this sort of modern era of streaming. And a lot of stuff that I made happened either um, like in the 90s and in the early 2000s. So I have to sort of catch up with the times. It's not um, like in the like, Later 2000s, the 2010s, I was really more focused on doing acting and more on a series and that kind of stuff. So I wasn't doing as many um, specials. And so I need to catch up. So how do you, what do you accredit that prolific body of work to? Have you always just, do you wake up and start writing or what's your creative process? It varies. I've been lucky in that I'm always able to um, get something going uh, outside of my own stand-up comedy. Like, usually when we're not, obviously, in a quarantine, I'm doing stand-up comedy constantly. So if I'm on um, my normal schedule of work, I usually go out about two to three weekends at least a month. So that's quite a lot of my time during the month. And then um, usually at least once a month, I'm doing some kind of an acting job. And so um, in general, uh, I have about half of my time is away from my home working on something. And then um, the rest of the time, I'm either doing spots around town or kind of just like trying to figure out like, what the, the, the next thing is going to be. And so I'm always focused on something creative and I have a lot of outside stimulus uh, to make sure that I'm going to get somewhere to do something. And then in, uh, I guess, a few times a year, I'll go on a big journey, like uh, whether it's to um, Asia or Australia or Europe to do uh, some kind of a longer tour, which will always um, inspire more writing and, um, and then sometimes I'll do um, 
a more of a kind of a creative trip. And sometimes they'll intersect where I'll do um, a festival um, or something that is more just for me that that some whether that's like North Africa, you know, I've gotten to do things that are just more just journeys for myself, whether that's India. I would love to actually do comedy in India. That would be really fun. I know that that's something that a lot of people get to do, and um, I haven't done that yet. And uh, But I've gotten to do uh, some Southeast Asia and and um, different places there in comedy, and so I'd like to do more of that. Um, but that's now – I was supposed to do that this year, and now I'll do that next year and um, go back to Tokyo and Korea and do more comedy there too. I love Tokyo. I also got to perform in Singapore, which was isn't that great? Yeah, cool. Do you so when you go on these trips, these recreational trips, are you pretty much just germinating the whole time? Are you journaling and and getting thoughts and inspirations? Yeah, I think that's constant. Um, I don't do as much journaling as much as I should. I think that what is good is. Um, there is, uh, I always do take notes though, and if I'm thinking of something, I'm always writing whether it's, um, you know, it's a good thing that we have devices because there's always something that pops up that is always there, you know. I used to always carry a notebook with me, and if I'm conscious of it, I do, but now that we have our devices, I'm always like writing in there somewhere. Um, but it is something nice to actually have a notebook because it makes you feel very like, writerly to have like a just paper and a notebook um which i was like i also love hotel stationery i always love the little like pad that you get um when you're in a hotel and uh i have a million of those all over the place um from all over the world over the years many many thousands of them hidden everywhere um so big collection of those all over with lots of scrawl and i always seem to remember what they relate to, all the things that are written there. Um, I guess it's sort of uh, what matchbooks used to be when you write in them. Um, But there's always that kind of thing um, always laid about. Uh, So definitely it's important to write down those little ideas, especially like jokes, because those will leave my mind. Um, I always have um, a kind of dream journal. I used to really be diligent about dream journaling because I think that's important too. But um, that's sort of, uh, I'm not as good about that as I mean, used to be. Do you mean writing down your goals or do you mean recording your dreams that you had or both? Both, both, both. Um, recording yeah. actual like um, dreams and also some sort of like vision boarding, but vision boarding in a very like, like um, you know, literal way of like writing down things that I want like goals and also um vision boarding with um, pictures, which I've done before too, with um, like uh, cutouts from magazines. And I've also done that like, you know, on, um, you know, on Pinterest and things like that. But also I think it's fun to do in um, a very kind of DIY uh, magazine way, you know, with old magazines and glue and it's, that's really fun. Um, And do you find a lot of the dreams come true? like that you see do you place it where you see it daily i don't but i do um go back and look at it and if you actually do go back and look at ones that are old you find that they do come through in really unexpected ways and it's really it's pretty amazing if you set your mind to things i think that those are 
the most surprising, um, the vision boarding, um, often it's really pretty incredible how if you set your mind to something in a very uh, focused way, um, things will happen in a very literal way that you can't believe. Uh, It's, you know, their mind is really incredible. So that I really, I I really um, think is a great thing to do. does it help you, anybody? Does it help you dictate your actions that you will need to take to accomplish the dreams to see the visual first? I think so, but it's almost unconscious mm-hmm. because it's like you set out this goal that you kind of think, "Oh, I would like to get there," but uh, you almost forget about it, and then your um, the unconscious sort of sets it up for you in your life, and it's it's really incredible how it does that. So I really recommend um, anybody who has the strong things of like what they want to do with their lives um, to really set it out visually for themselves, whether it's um, kind of about, uh, you know, vision boarding. I think that's probably the most powerful thing. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I actually make one for each new project. And this last one I made right on my MacBook, um, there's something called PowerPoint or something that you can just um, pull things from the internet and not even do. But they're they're super powerful, especially for like envisioning what you want the project to feel like, what you want people to get out of it and all that stuff and how you want to feel. Um, so like walk me through when you go to write your your new special or, or whatever, like do you take all the scraps of paper and go, oh, here's something, here's something, or like how does it become a famous Margaret Cho chunk (laughs) of comedy? I think it's it's more like I'll put things together and then I sort of, what it is is that I'll just go into a set and then at some point it stops becoming like on paper and then you just kind of go in from memory. So like the first few times you're sort of like thinking, oh, well, this is sort of like how I, I would do it. And then you're doing the stand-up so much that you're just like adding it to your mind. Like it, you know, you, it, it goes pretty quickly from this collection of pieces of paper from all over. And then it's just, I mean, your mind. And I have a pretty strong memory for jokes after I've done them and what they go, what memory, like sort of like what, what it goes in, like the idea of like, the through line and then it'll become a special or that hour or whatever it is. Um, okay. So you're kind of like working it out on stage. You're mostly you're grasping the idea pretty quickly and then you're talking it through in all the shows that you do every month. And then it's a special. Yeah. I think it has to be like that because mm-hmm. um, also it changes a lot. It's hard for me to do. It's hard. I have a, I have a little bit of a hard time with um comedy without the audience that's why i i mean i'm doing more and more zoom shows but it's still quite um surreal to do comedy without the audience there because they're such an integral part of the experience that it really feels a lot like um you know like you're you're not really performing or you're almost sounding things out and you don't really know what the reaction is or it's very hard to tell. Um, so it's still very tough for me, although I'm getting more and more used to it, um, as we have to, you know, um, but I, I think that I, 
I mean, I'm doing more of them. I'm getting more used to it. I did one last night, which was fun. But it's certainly like something that I'm like, I, I really miss doing comedy and I really, I really want to get back to it. I know that it'll still be some time, but I just, I can't believe how much I miss it, you know? What it's are, like a very sad thing. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, const, yeah, it's a, you're constantly in conversation with an audience and then you're not. It, it must feel very, does it feel lonely? Yeah, it's like a breakup. It's like a weird, like, breakup that is not cool like you're not (laughs) (laughs) like I'm like it's like a weird it's like a breakup that I didn't agree with you feel widowed actually this is like the weirdest it's like I'm not a widow but it feels like you're widowed like it's a weird thing yeah what um what is your favorite what is your, yeah, I think someone who's touring a lot too, it must just open up so much space for, and I think probably many people are going through this who have like a very full-time job that suddenly is not there. And then you're just kind of left with your feelings and like, what's this life without this? And although there are many great things like cooking, you're you're confronted with probably a lot of emotions that you don't normally have to encounter because you're traveling all the time and doing exciting shows, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's so, it's so weird. And then, um, you know, like that, that thing of like, what do now having to sort of like imagine, well, what do I do when I go back to it? You know, how, how is it going to feel to, like, go back? Because it's also very strange to do comedy in general. Like, it, you the move farther and farther away from stage performance, and then you realize how weird it is to be a comedian in the first place. It's such a weird thing. And it's not just something you can really do on your own. Or is it? Like, how do you think it will be impacted moving forward? I don't know. I think that also like this pause in comedy will probably help comedy in general too because all comedians have to pause. So this is going to make us all more thoughtful when we go back to it because we we never all collectively have taken all this much time off, you know, or been forced to. Yeah, and I I feel like so much has happened recently. I mean, when you began – I know when I began, there was like one girl on every show. I can't even imagine when you began. Like, how has comedy changed, and how do you think the Me Too movement has changed it, or will um, change it? I think that um, well, I think it's made it a lot better. I mean, I think it's made it a lot. I think the Me Too movement has really been great, and I think it's really important, and I think it's really um, made it a lot safer for women, not just in comedy, but just all over every part of entertainment and the world, you know, and, and it'll continue to help everyone. I think it's really um, an amazing thing. And, you know, it's like, finally, we have um, the ability to tell the truth and and tell um, the world about what's gone on and how how things have been, you know, and, and to feel safe within that, you know, and that's really, that's really an amazing thing. Um, but that, that it's somehow, um, 
you know, like it, it, it's not a trend. It's got to stay that way. You know, it's got to be like the status quo. It's got to stay this way and we've got to keep it going. It's not um, something that has, has just had a moment and has, has to go away. It's got to continue on, which I think is great. How, how will it, how can it continue on? I think it's going to keep, I think it's a mentality that has to keep on um, growing and keep on, um, it's sort of like this sort of thing. It's like, it's got to be the norm, you know, it's, it's got to be um, this thing where we continue to support women's stories and men's stories. I mean, I don't think me too only um, has an advantage towards women. I think it's for everyone. It's for everyone to feel safe and to feel like they're protected in the, you know, in their positions and to not feel like they can be taken advantage of. What, what do you think will help uh, implement this or make everyone feel safer, men and women, to have a clearer sort of boundaried, safer, safer workplace? I think it's really, um, well, I think it's mostly um, that uh, technology helps that we have a kind of, um, that we have this sort of sense of that we can sort of record everything that we have, like this sense of like, oh, we have the ability to kind of protect our spaces with our phones like we can like actually record and <laughs> like um you know have these Im we have images we have like recording ability we have camera phones we have everything at our disposal to sort of like you just capture what's happening in the moment which i think has helped a lot i don't think that we could have um what we have at this moment with Black Lives Matter with all of that stuff that's going on mm -hmm. here without that. So we can use this for every part of society, which I think is really important. Yeah, I agree. And what do you think, is it is it more challenging to be a celebrity now that there is cancel culture? I don't know. I think cancel culture can be really, um, I think it can be really helpful in a lot of ways because cancel culture, what it really is about is to give voice to the formerly voiceless like what is um so important about cancel culture is really um to give a way for the people who have been formerly oppressed to speak up for themselves and um so we're trying to just find our equilibrium within that and um that's why cancel culture seems to lash out at everything because we're trying to find a way to speak up for ourselves without um, trying to like uh, be so alarmed that it sounds overbearing. But at times it does that, you know, because it's almost like um, you're trying to find the right balance. And I think it'll find its balance in time that now it seems overbearing or a lot of people think it's overbearing. I don't think it is. But it can seem that way because because it's almost like it's like a new, um, you know, sometimes when you find a new word and you use it all the time, it's kind of like that. It's like yeah. <laughs> when you find a new thing, you want to implement it because it's new and it's, it's like we have a, a, this object that we can 
suddenly um, absolutely utilized at our disposal. And this is like a new thing and it's exciting. And so that's, I think, what cancer culture is about. Um, but that there will be a time when it feels natural to use and that it won't be as um, something that we grab right away because um, it's something that will feel much more um, used to. And so there'll be more of an ease route around it. Yeah, I agree. How can someone who's been canceled come back or make an appropriate amends? What does an appropriate amends, amends look like in this scenario and what can be done to make it right? I don't know. I think that there's a lot of different ways to. I think that it's sort of like when we learn about whatever that is that sort of cancels you in the first place, whatever it is about homophobia, about racism, about sexism. I think there are certain things that are not necessarily excusable. Um, what I would say, Harvey Weinstein, um, Bill Cosby, you know, that are crimes that I think are deserving of jail time, that are deserving of a lot more than, say, quote-unquote, cancellation. That's more of a different issue than uh, certain issues. I mean, it, you know, the, the, there's certain things that are like where, where I'm, I'm kind of unsure. Not that I'm unsure, but it's kind of like there's a, there's a lot of controversy around. And then then we're not, you know, we're, we're not, we're sort of remains to be seen. There's people that are very much like, everybody wants to argue about and I, I don't really know like I wonder like who gets to come back from certain things who does I don't I don't really know there's certain things that I'm not really sure about um, and, and also like who gets to who gets to say but we don't we don't really know like there's so much that remains to be seen like people who haven't been criminally pro prosecuted like who knows like what what what's what's to become of that like that that's sort of like I wonder what that means, you know? What does, know. Uh, what does, what is a, what is a way to not deal with it? Do you think? What is the way that's not a, a good way to deal with it? Probably not a good way to deal with it. Um, I think not a good way to deal with it is, uh, I'm not sure. I mean, it's it, probably not a good way to deal with it is maybe, um, probably not a good way to deal with it is coming out against it or, uh, well, probably not a good way to deal with it is threatening violence. Like, um, like, like what it was R. Kelly's manager threatening to shoot everybody. <laughs> that's probably not a good way. Um, that's probably not a good way that anything that really involves any sort of like real, like, um, Another criminal allegation is probably not a good way. Uh, there, there's, there's questionable ways, I guess. Um, but you know, who knows? Like, it, it, it's sort of like I'm not really sure. Um, okay, it's okay. How, how have you? I think it's important just to keep the discussion going, though, because I do think some people might like to come back from their cancel, and they don't know how. And they don't know yeah. what an amends looks like and they don't know what's appropriate. And then some people, you know, have felt maybe too shamed um, 
you know, so I, I, I don't know the answer either. I think it depends on why you're canceled. Um, mm -hmm. Like there are levels. There are levels. I think in general, it depends on who you are and what you do. Um, if you're a man and you're a director, just move to Europe. That's generally <laughs> like the, the catch all. Um, just get, you know, just start making movies in Europe. Um, the worse it is, uh, the farther east you go. So if it's real bad, just move to Eastern Europe. <laughs> like, like, that's usually like the case of like, you know, let's just sort of market how bad, um, you know, like, so the, the worst, <laughs> the worst it gets, like the closer to like Estonia, you go. <laughs> so I think it's like, that's more of the issue. Um, it does. I think it really depends. Um, yeah, it sort of depends on what you did and where you're at. Like, um, uh, yeah, I, I think, yeah, or, like, live in, like, a, an old baseball legend's house. Like, or, yeah, I think, like, Louis C.K. lives in Babe Ruth's house, right? What? So, yeah. Yeah, Louis C.K. lives in Babe Ruth's old house. So I think, like, live in, like... Um, How do you know that? Oh, yeah, he, that's, like, a famous thing. He lives in, like, <laughs> Babe Ruth's house. It's, like, a famous house. It's, like, a very famous... It's, like, an island, an island or something. It's which, like a, wow, which island? In like um, Cape Cod, I think, or like around there, like Martha's Vineyard, like around, like around. I don't know. I I was living in Provincetown, so I think it's around there, but I don't. I'm not sure, but it's something like that. <laughs> so it's just like kind of like go away to an island and chill out, yeah, and but not like too far from New York, so that like your friends can come visit. Got it. That's funny. There should be a guide on that. Um, yeah. How were you surprised by some of the 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 people who've gone gone come out in the Me Too movement? No, no, <laughs> no, not at all. Of course not. I mean, no, no. Have you encountered like a lot of sexism yourself? Yeah, totally. And I mean, Me Too yeah. stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, in the, if you're, like, in and around, like, indie film and comedy in the 90s, totally. Like, you get tons of it. Like, it was so much a part of making indie movies and uh, comedy. But at the same time, it was such an intrinsic part of it that it almost was like you just accepted that it was there that it it was like for me it was just it was part of it and it was like you know I um I, I didn't have to I, I don't know I didn't have too much trouble with it because it was like for some reason it, it you know that, that I had instances where it did get get like there was gross things that happened and of course like it was disgusting but I never felt like um it was like it, it was so obvious to me that it was like I had to do this or that whatever like there was just a, there was a lot of it around so it was just so like but it was so prevalent that it was almost like 
this is just the industry and this is the this is the reality of it. So it was so much in my mind that I, I was like so living in the world of the oppressor that the oppressor was in my brain that I never thought that it would ever like I, I, I would ever be gone or that we could ever call it out because it was just so much there. Wow. So like how did you traverse that? How did you how did you like get get through and stay in there, stay in that scene? Well, there was, there was like this thing of like, you know, I finally, because I was a headliner, I would just like work with women. I would just work with gay men. I would just, I mean, I had the ability to not surround myself with any of those guys and not feel like I had to work underneath them. And that was, my fix, which was fine. So you know, you, I didn't have to work with them. So you like created your own world. Yeah. So I was free from that, but it was like you definitely saw it and felt it, and it was around and it was gross. But it was like I was also able to be successful enough to not have to deal with that. But it was so like, yeah, it it was so uh, present. So. Definitely. It was, yeah, I witnessed a lot of it. It was disgusting. You saw like a lot of instances of sexual harassment or just people like what, like what was it? And it was, but it was just there, you know, and it was, it was just present and it was around and it was just, um, it was part of the game of indie filmmaking, that kind of um, idea that, in the 90s, you know, it was this almost a redo of the 70s when the director, male directors, artistic, uh, the artistic vision of these male directors was so important. And it was like, you know, they were spending all this money on these like geniuses. It was sort of a genius theory. These guys get, get away with anything. And you kind of saw this like amazing sort of thing of they could get away with whatever and um it wasn't just the directors it was sort of anybody on these film sets could do whatever they wanted and you sort of saw that mentality not just around um the creatives but around everybody around around movies that kind of agency and that entitlement have you experienced a lot of sexism or like a lot of op- what are what are the biggest obstacles that you've experienced? I think for me, it's always been racism in the form of invisibility, mm. like the invisibility of Asian Americans within entertainment, and then the um, unviability of women in comedy. Those two factors have been the most damaging in my career personally in comedy that the un un um sort of viability of women and the invisibility of Asians those two factors have um really uh thwarted my ability or my reach as a comedian um despite that I've still had a great impact as a comedian but I think that of course if I was the man and if I was white then you would 
definitely, I would be on Mount Rushmore. <laughs> Instead of Donald Trump. <laughs> I would be, you'd be like, yeah, like sculpting me in there, um, chiseling me out of the rock. Um, <laughs> what, what kind of like, are there any instances in particular that jump out in your mind that were particularly debilitating that you had to overcome? And if so, like, how did you overcome that? It's not really, it's hard to say because it's mostly like this perception that I have because it is so much, it's like, how do you even speak about invisibility? It's very hard to um, give it uh, a sort of definition because it is invisibility. It's like, how do you even say, well, it's because I was invisible. It's because Asians are invisible in entertainment. And now only recently have we just started to become visible Mm -hmm. it, it's very hard to explain what that even means to people, you know, and then um, in terms of women in comedy, that's another thing, too. It's very hard to explain. And and um, especially a woman who talks about sexuality, who talks about queerness and sexuality, it's also another layer of like invisibility because that that lends itself to another kind of um, queer uh invisibility that it is so it's like mm -hmm. you know my uh, emergence in um, entertainment has really been a gradual kind of like there's a movie called the invisible man and he's always like trying to has to put bandages around himself to be seen mm -hmm. that's kind of what my um journey has been is wrapping the bandages around like the mummy so that people could see that i'm here but then you still feel like you're the mummy. So it's like this thing of like, you're not still, still not really present. And then even when the, you people see that you are, you're still bandaged up. So you don't really get a sense of really being there. And then it's a very uh, long process of emergence, but at least the, the, there's a beginning of it. Yeah. And like, well, you've trailblazed. I mean, you, you created your own world, your own audience, your own niche that like, your fans adore you, you know, and you open so many doors for women, for people of color. Like what helped you get through that though? Like, did you have to, like wh what helped you say, nope, I'm going to keep going. I belong here. I have a voice and I'm visible. Well, I really love the art form. Like I love stand-up comedy and I love um, doing it. And I also really I think believe in it and I think that there's also more that needs to be done and, and every time I come across these sort of new ideas around it I know that that there's more to accomplish and so I feel like when there's more that needs to be done and that there's more that I can do I want to keep going and then other people like every time I'm learning something else like I get inspired and like right now I'm super inspired by the um wet ass pussy like that song like really was so influential to me like I'm like so happy about what they did and how great it was and like how you know except I when they're in the pool I'm like oh I wish that the pool was deeper so that I could do that in my for my joints because I really have like really cracking knees um but it's very much like 
a very um, inspiring thing because there's so many jokes in the song. Yeah. And when I I was laughing, um, I was talking to Karen Kilgariff um, from My Favorite Murder, that, that podcast, and uh-huh. we were laughing about that song because there were so many jokes in it. We're like, was this written by Carol Leifer? Because it was had so many 90s comedy, like, She's like, I think this was written by Diane Ford. <laughs> and um, there were so many like 90, like great 90s comedians, like that level. Cause that's like the gold standard of comedy is 90s female comics. Cause they had the best lines. Uh-huh. And that, that song has like some of the best comedy lines of any comedian song, whatever, a much better than male rappers like much better than any like drake song or any any like guy you know they're so clever what are your favorite so, ones i think like um <laughs> i think probably that he swipe swipe let my like the pussy's gonna swipe the nose like a credit card <laughs> um or that he's or he's kissing he he uh paid for my tuition so that he could kiss the pussy like there's like so many different ones that are just so great like um oh that she wants she doesn't even say uvula but she's she wants it to hit the that dangly thing in the back of her throat that it's like you don't have to say uvula but you could say that (laughs) all of the all of the lines in it and then it made republicans so mad yeah it's such a great, brilliant, beautiful, all of the lines are so dead on perfect and also so perfect for them. Also, it's this connection of Cardi B and Megan The Stallion. And, you know, it's just, I, I just, I love it. I love it. So, like, I feel like you're doing similar things with your comedy where you're, you're making these statements that are in service of um, really positive societal, like helping society basically overcome societal traumas, but you're doing it in a way that's really funny and relatable. Yeah, I think that's really important. You know, when you try to like do things that people can relate and respond to, but also um, laugh about. That's what I think is really important. Do you think, like, have you been surprised by any of the people in comedy who are going, getting canceled? Oh, you know, I don't know. Um, I mean, I I don't know uh, these different guys at all, really. Like, I don't know um, the the guys very well. Uh, I mean, it's like, who knows? Like, who knows? Like, I don't know. Like, it's so weird. I don't know any of It's so weird to me. <laughs> yeah. How do you deal with criticism, trolls, or bullying? Do you read your, read comments or anything like that? Oh, not really. I mean, I don't really That's know smart. any of that stuff either. To, to me, it's also very strange um, that people would take the time to do that kind of stuff. And, and then at the same time too, it's like, is that really a person? Is that really (laughs) like real? Is that also not something that's 
generate like computer generated for something else like to me i don't know if that's necessarily um real either i don't i don't always believe it um so i don't know yeah especially if someone just like a bot face well, I, yeah. I, I, I try not. Yeah, I just try and I try not to look at that stuff. Um, do you think that like, do you ever run into people who are like mad because you talked about them in your act or people who are afraid to be talked about in your act? Oh, no, no. Um, only if they really did deserve it, then it's like, yeah, I definitely. There, there's only been a couple of times where I really had given it to somebody that really did deserve it. And then also, um, if I've talked about somebody in my act that I usually am able to face them. Like I usually talk about people in my act that I can talk to, I can tell them personally that, um, or it's somebody that I, I don't mind talking about. It's fine, they deserve it, definitely. But usually if, if I'm talking about somebody I can usually tell them that I'm talking about them and that they like, like it. That's cool. You know, yeah. I think it's important to have a kind of accountability when you include other people in your comedy, mm. they should be able to laugh about it as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that's great. You know, I think that there's an ease around that, you know? Um, and if not, they should really deserve it. And then it's okay. There's yeah. I feel good about that. Okay. Good. I know. I think it's important. Do you, um, what, like, what would you say to someone struggling with, with things that you've struggled with? Like, how can they get through it? Um, I think that it's like you, you just have to examine like what it's about, you know, like what is the struggle? Like whether that is like, alcoholism or drugs or what does it relate to like where is the coming from and like what is it about you that is causing it and, like what do you gain from it and like what is helping you and what is um hurting you like because we always all these things that we do that are damaging we gain something we have something to gain like what is it what do we have to gain from it you know mm. like things that damage us we do because we have something to gain from it. And like, what is it that we have to gain from it? And what can we do that's different that we can still like benefit from that is similar. Mm. So I think that's a good way to go about it. That's so like, what has helped you? Like, what do you like to do to replace one thing with another or what's helped you? Well, I think what, instead of like, um, drink I used to like drink alcohol and do drugs in order to have some sort of feeling of like everything's going to be okay and like a sort of connection mm -hmm. with other people or to connect with other people and now I just sort of connect with other people and that's definitely a much safer way to go about it or to like um to feel better about things or to feel calmer about things. I do go about that in a different way. Like I, I have to go the long way around feeling peace, which is whether that is like going the real way to peace, which is, you know, taking that long way of actually having to make my life right to feel peace, you know, living a way that is like peaceful. Um, which, which takes time, 
you know, which takes uh, quite a lot of effort to be um, living a peaceful life, but it does, uh, it is more of a benefit than drinking to feel peace or trying to do drugs to feel peace. Because that doesn't lead to peace, even though it feels peaceful in the moment, it doesn't lead to a peaceful existence. So those kinds of things are, are easier for me to um, kind of explain, but that, that's kind of the, the way that I go about it. What would you say was the biggest tra- trauma that you had to overcome in your life? Did it have to do with drinking or was there something more difficult? I think, I think the biggest traumas were probably uh, over time would be drinking and drugs, like having to continually give them up. I mean, I've given them up a few times. So giving them up and then restarting and giving them up and restarting. And then now I think I've given them up hopefully for good, at least today. Um, I don't want to restart them, but the, the idea of like self-destruction in that way, that's probably the biggest trauma. Sorry for all this. Dings. I don't know why these are coming through because I turned this off. But how did you overcome? We only have a few minutes left. But how did you? How do you create that peace for yourself to overcome that trauma of self abuse with alcoholism? It's a lot. I mean, it's a lot of it's a lot of work, but it's definitely something that I have to do. Um, but it is like looking towards a peaceful life, and it's looking towards um, different ways of living. Um, it's a different approach of, um, you know, going for peace and a tranquility every day. And it's just a different way of life. I mean, it's a different way of being and looking for long-term solutions towards peace than quick ones. So do you feel better? Do you feel better? Like when you wake up, do you feel peace? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, way better. That makes me happy. It's a lot. It's a lot better. But it's definitely um, the long way. It's going the long way, especially especially that is, it's more gratifying, but it's definitely long. Yeah. Um, But worth it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's worth it. Um, Cool. Well, um, like, what would you tell people trying to get into comedy? Uh, Somebody I saw, uh, somebody asked, what would you tell a woman trying to get into comedy? Just do it. You know, it's really um, an amazing journey. I think it's really the best journey to be on. I would not trade it for anything. I want to get back to it as soon as we can get back in front of audiences, as soon as we can back can back actually like doing it live. I'm very excited to. Um, I miss it probably more than anything else. Um, it's like the one thing that I can't believe I haven't done since March. It's like the longest time I've been away from it ever. Do you? But um, yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No, but I, I miss it a lot. Do you um, prefer writing books, specials, or having your own TV show more? Um, I think well, doing just doing stand-up comedy is like the most important thing. Um, but uh, yeah, I would love to do my own TV show again. That would be great. Uh, so hopefully that'll happen again. Would you want to do scripted or unscripted? Definitely scripted, but unscripted is fun. So, uh, but I'd love to do scripted. Will you be creating your own TV show, or would you prefer someone create it for you? Oh, I'd like to create it. 
do you enjoy writing with a, a writing partner or just by yourself? I like both. I think there's advantages in both. I definitely like doing stand-up comedy by myself, like writing it just because that's my experience. But I think writing scripted with um, a partner is really gratifying too. Um, and they can help give me uh, a lot of help with like other characters and other voices. You know, that's something that I always need help with. And um, with relationships, too, that's definitely important. But I love um, writing stand-up comedy on my own. When you, What helps you write your comedy? Do you like meditating? I do have a meditation practice outside of um, my creative life. But it does help me with my creative life. But it doesn't necessarily connect that much with my creative life. It, it has more to do with just my um, personal life and just sort of my, um, that has more to do with just like my peace and kind of my understanding of living. But, um, I think it probably all ties in. I think, uh, just like meditation is just a, a way to just be quiet in my body, which helps everything. Yeah. So what, like, what would you say to people who are struggling during this pandemic? I think try to find things that make you feel good. Um, try to find things that I think um, make you feel happy. And then remember that um, we're lucky that this is happening now, that we have a lot of things at our disposal to uh, enjoy. Um, streaming services are amazing. We have huge library of entertainment that doesn't actually have to even cost anything. Um, Tubi, which I think is an amazing streaming service, is free. And it has an incredible library of really trashy movies that used to be a blockbuster that you never would rent. Your parents would never let you rent. That you can just watch. It's the trashiest horror action whatever, but it's so fun. And you might have to watch a Febreze ad or two, <laughs> but it's free. It's so worth it. And um, there's like YouTube forever. All of like the craziest entertainment that you can't believe is out there for no money if you have an internet, whatever. Yeah, I feel like we're lucky watch. too. We're so lucky. We have so many things to watch. Uh, somebody asked, yeah. what are your challenges with modern political correctness? Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think political correctness, kind of like cancel culture, is really about giving voice to the formerly unheard. Yes. And so I don't know if it's about a challenge. It's really about learning about what people need to okay. feel like they are seen. And learning about what people need to need to feel good and feel feel like they're heard and so i'm i'm really willing to learn i love that are, are you feeling more visible are you yeah, feeling for sure. more great yeah yeah i think that's good yeah you're like Definitely. super visible yeah um yeah. when you oh we only have a minute left are we before ig live turns off um were you so excited when you began to win awards for your comedy and your voice yes very excited. did you feel validated 
Yes. Your voice was needed. Okay. Well, I want to thank you, Margaret, for just continuing to inspire me. And I'm so grateful to have you in my life. And thank Thank you for connecting with us today. And I want to thank everyone who who watched today and who, who will be listening to the podcast. If you believe in this message of talking to people who've accomplished great things after overcoming great adversity and and trauma and personal obstacles. You can support this podcast by subscribing for free at the link in my bio at Real Melinda Hill on Instagram or, you know, contribute to our Patreon. And um, thank you so much for sharing it with your friends and for supporting the message. And Margaret, any closing comments? Thank you. I love you. Thank you. Thank you. I love you. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye.